Amen. I uh, can speak on some things of seeking counsel from people. I, I noticed that my my cohort staffs were very wise. If you notice in your bulletin, they usually put down who's speaking, and they, I think, in wisdom, they have left my name off there and then closed the doors and back, so you cannot get up and leave. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes they. You want to know ahead of time, but we've at least hidden that from you. But normally when you get here, at least you see the bulletin. And I know people can just take off. So you are stuck for a while here unless you want to get up and leave in embarrassment. Uh, every, every bit of teaching, and, and I think, uh, I don't know, is Pat, are Pat and Steve in here? I can't tell you. Every bit of teaching that, that we feel God puts on our heart to to lay out to you, to come alongside and present to you, regardless of the situation and regardless of the topic, regardless of how personal and how unique that topic is, that topic really is uh, blown in the wind if it is not producing what I think every single message should be producing, and it should be drawing you to more intimacy with God. We are to be drawn to God in everything we do. When you look out and you just see the wonders of animals and how creative they are and, and what God has done, the purpose of that is not just that you can stand in awe of the animal, but the animal would draw you closer to God. Not necessarily just so that you would think God is awesome, but that you would realize he's a creative God and it actually wants to work in your life in the same way. If it is not doing that, and if, and if what you're reading, whatever book it might be, whatever topic it might be, it is real easy to take off onto a topic and make that topic a, a big thing in itself. And my challenge to you and to me when I study is that sometimes interesting information can say, wow, that's awesome, but that's information without leading to intimacy I think is void and I think it is wasted information. And he does that in one of two ways. One, he will give you new information, positive information that draws you to God in intimacy so that the scriptures that says that I'm not interested in your sacrifices or all the things you think that you're doing for me, I'm interested in your love. It also says in Hosea 6.6 that I'm not interested in your service. I want you to know me. Jesus, when he was on this planet and his last night, and he got done with his pretty much talking to his disciples about the things that he thought were very important for them to be kind of uh, reminded of, he makes a statement. He says, this is life in its fulfillment, in its totality. This is eternal life, that you know him, and that word means to be intimately equated with God and his son, Jesus Christ. So we want you to realize that every time we talk, and even when you have emotional uh, uh, messages that are given to you, like that are coming from your pastor Steve right now, that are from the gut and the heart of who he is, that is not so you will walk away with certain information. It is so that it will lead you to union and intimacy with God. That's the purpose of everything that's shared. And when he does it, he does it by drawing you to himself, or sometimes he does it by removing obstacles that are impeding that union with God. It's kind of like when something's plugged up and in, in a, in with a hose, and you've got to remove that, whatever it might be. Mice got in there in the winter, and you've got to remove that, remove that little nest so that the water will flow through. 
Today is one of those days that we're going to look at something that I think can plug up you getting to know God and you getting in union with God and you and I getting in oneness with God that will actually be freeing for you. We're going to look at Genesis. I touched briefly on this on Christmas Eve, but I, I basically all I did was touch on it, and we're going to expand on it today and then see how pertinent it is for our lives today. Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> we're going to read verse 8, verse 15 and sep- through 17, and then part of chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and why God put man in the garden and asked him not to eat from it. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east of Eden. Uh, by the way, uh, the garden was not named the Garden of Eden. The garden does not have a name given to it. It was in a region of Eden. It was a different garden. And that garden itself was contained in a certain garden. And it was in Eden. There's nothing to make me believe that the earth was like this. To me, I understand from reading that in the text, as I see it, the garden was in the midst of Eden, and man and women were to enjoy the garden, study the garden, be creative in the garden, and then go out and replenish the earth and make the rest of the earth look like Eden and be a garden like that. What I understand was given. So now there's a planted in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, No, we can eat from trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Oh, you surely won't die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here, she gave me some fruit to eat from the tree, and I ate it. The Lord God then turned to the woman and said, what is it you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. Now, I want to break this down and show you why I think it's really pertinent for today. Why I think this passage of Scripture is right in your living room every single day of your life. 
I think there's something that we can miss by just reading over this and not understanding this. First of all, you've got to ask the question, if, if you're like me and you hear that read, you've got to be asking the question, what, what's the big deal? I, I, I think, aren't we supposed to know good from evil? I can give you verse after verse after verse where God says you should know good and evil. You should know that which comes from a good tree is good fruit, and that which comes from a bad tree is bad fruit. You should know the difference between good and evil, that you may walk in that way which is good. It, it seems like all through Scripture, God tells us that we ought to be discerning enough to be recognizing good and evil and lean towards good and stay away and flee from evil. So what in the world was going on here? Why did he not want us and Adam and Eve to eat from that? You see, I believe that if we look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as you, as you look at that, good and evil can be defined only by the creator and the center of the universe. And because God is the center of the universe, then it's not by experience that he knows good and evil, because God cannot sin and cannot commit evil. But it's by taking any event, any activity, anything out there, taking that, holding it next to the character and the person of God, and that which is consistent with God is good, that which is inconsistent with God is evil. Does that make sense? If this reflects who God is, it is good. If it doesn't, it is evil. Man was also to do that very same thing. God told him to do. Eat every tree you want, but when you're looking at what is good and evil, I am the center of this universe. You look at me to determine whether something is good or something is evil by comparing it to my character, to my attributes, to who I am and my nature. But when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, man put himself in a place that he was never designed to be. He chose that I can get here and I will be like God and we can be independent of God Therefore, I will basically be the center of the universe, and I will compare what is good and evil compared to who I am. Don't we do that today? I mean, let me bring you now, hold on, back 6,000 years ago, and let's move up the time chain and get to where we are last week. Last week, I get a, uh, a call from my wife. My wife has had a serious back injury for 18 years. I've had to live with that. She's had to live with that. Those of her friends have had to live with that, and there's a lot of consequences to it. And when I look at uh, that, it's very easy for me to define whether that's good or evil. As long as I'm in the center of that, it doesn't look good to me because it affects me. And I make an evaluation on it based upon me. She makes an evaluation based upon who she is. And so I decide whether something's good or evil. When my dear friend, your senior pastor, gets the news that he's got cancer, terminal cancer, I determine whether that's good or evil based upon the middle of us being in the center of that. These are big events, but, you know, they're small events in your life and my life. You just drive up the hill. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to use a friend. Driving up the hill, and traffic's going slow, slow, slow. And it's starting to bother them that they're going slow. Why is it bothering that it's, that it's going slow? Because we tend to go ahead and say, this is good or bad based upon 
my life. Isn't that true? Don't we all make evaluations on life, on events, on circumstances, whether they're good or bad, based upon how they affect us? So now that you understand that you're guilty as much as they were, let's go back into that scene and realize that, that when Adam and Eve decided that they could make decisions on good and bad and good and evil and right and wrong based upon them being the center, they threw this whole thing out of whack. Because man was never the center of the universe, can't be the center of the universe, and basically will evaluate things so poorly because of that. Because you're the center of the universe, then that, it says, is the result of disputes and factions and judgmentalness and all kinds of things because I judge you because you affected my life poorly, so therefore you're doing something wrong. And we're all left doing it. I've never met a person in my life that doesn't continually fall into this. This is the difference between spirit and flesh. The flesh relating to that circumstance is the one that still somehow wants to judge and know what is good and evil by comparing it to yourself and how this affects you. If your bank account went down, this is a bad thing because you're the center of that. And God says no. Just like the original design, I am the center of the universe. I'm the one that created the universe. And if you'll look at my character and you can see things that are good and bad based upon my character, and I'm always good. And my loving kindness is everlasting. You have on your uh, title WWSD. You're probably wondering what that means. Well, you've heard of WWJD. Uh, what would Jesus do? And I think we've told you enough times that I think that is a great uh, saying if it's understood correctly. We always think, what would Jesus do? And we try to read back what he did actually, and then we try to do what he did, and that's not at all what God intended. God basically said, what would Jesus do? He simply would be quiet and listen to the Father and do whatever the Father did through him. He says, I simply abide in the Father. That's what Jesus would do. And he's saying, if you're wise as my children, you will simply abide in me. For in the way that I abided in my Father, you can also abide in me now, because when I go away, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and I will inhabit you and dwell with you, and the Spirit and I will be in you. And if you want to know what would Jesus do, just abide in the Spirit, and you'll do what I ask you to do. But I phrase this, what would S do? What would Satan do? And that's what basically we do. We put, what would Satan do? He put himself in the center of the universe and because of that got thrown down from that heavenly kingdom and he rules on this planet. And we do the same thing. I'm, I'm not trying to bring accusation and make you feel all so bad. I just want you to know you can't see yourself accurately. You can't. The apostle Paul, who I think was a very godly man as I read, he says, I count it a very small thing to be examined by you and uh, in any other human court, because in examining myself, I can't even see myself accurately. And so God gives us numerous, numerous scriptures to help us know what is in the flesh and what is in the spirit. I do not think it's enough by God's design that you go into your little solitude of quiet time and spend time with God and say, God, you examine my heart. Now, I think you should do that. I think everybody should do that. 
But if you walk out of that time with God and you come out and say, say, I asked God and see, I'm doing okay, I don't think that's accurate because many, many murders have been done in Jesus' name under the name of God. God says, no longer written on tablets of stone, I'm going to write this on other human hearts. Brothers and sisters and saints that can come alongside and help you discern that which is good and that which is evil. There are only two types of wisdom, the book of James says. Not three, not a neutral wisdom. There is one that is of God coming down from heaven above, penetrating the souls of man and bringing unity. And he said, and then there's another wisdom that is of the earth, and it is demonic, and it always brings about divisiveness and stress and division in the human race. There's only two. One of the spirit, one of the flesh. And I want to tell you, because I, I want you to be sober here to hear this enough, you don't see yourself accurately. You just don't. Remember the saying I left off at uh, Christmas Eve? I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. That's how you look at life. Let me give you an illustration. My, my son, F, as he had that virus and he got crippled, he had... Uh, is kind of in charge of the schedule now. And uh, I notice on my schedule, I'm working out with him three times a week. I'm glad he did that. But, uh, but in, in relationship to that, I remember going working out one time. And I went over to do the bench press. And I went over to the machine. And somebody had just left the bench press. And I, I think it was very rude, uh, this guy that was at the bench press, because he reeked. His BO was so bad that I thought, I can't even do my bench press. Maybe I should back today instead of chest today. But I made it through and finally got off of there, kind of holding my breath, and I get over, and I said, okay, now it's time for curls. And I get over to the curl machine, and whoever was here reaped. <laughs> By the time I got the shoulders in, it stunk. And a nice little rebuke said, Dad, you smell today. I'd have never known it was me. <laughs> I would have left telling everybody, by the way, you should shower. We do that in our life all the time. We talk about people that are gossiping and says, have you ever noticed these people gossip all the time? And this person, we tell the name who's gossiping, and we don't realize wherever we go, we're talking and seeing gossipers. Have you ever thought that maybe you're the one? What's the common denominator here? So I'm going to challenge you with something. I'm going to read some scriptures. I just simply want you to listen to the words of God because I think they're pretty darn important that God would say this in almost every book in the Bible. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Give instruction to wise people and they'll become wiser yet. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. Where there is no guidance, people will fall. But in abundance of guidance and counselors, there is victory. Without consultation, and that word consultation is an interesting word. It's the word that we get, the word pillow, couch. It just means that in comfortable, comfortable settings is where consultation usually takes place. It's, it should be every day common to you to be able to be in conversation and be able to let people speak into your life. 
It says, without consultation, guidance, your plans are, your, are going to be frustrated, but when asking for advice from many people, you will succeed. He who is wise listens to life-giving reproof or advice, and he who dwells among the wise, but he who neglects or even ignores or never asks for honest reproof despises himself, for he who listens to advice acquires understanding. A wise man will hear and increase always in his learning, and a man of understanding will acquire. Uh, that word there means he will buy. He will go out of his way to see that he becomes habitual in getting advice from people. I can go on and on. But I am, I am absolutely shocked at how few Christians that I know that literally do this, really do it, that are willing to go ahead and open up their life and say, I can't trust myself in these decisions. I just don't. You know, I, I think we can do this in a general sense. 35 years ago, when I started a ministry, uh, I put myself underneath a board, and I remember saying to the board, uh, you're my authority, you speak into my life. That was a general sense, because I didn't have any any clue what it meant to let him really speak into my soul. And a lot of times we don't want people to speak into your soul because you want what you want and you want to get what you want because you're the center of that decision. So you usually ask people that agree with you. You find people that are like-minded and then if you're going to talk about somebody, you know that this person's talked about them so you get with them and, and you think you're being honest. I regret, I, I can't go to all the people probably offended by that in my, in my prideful, arrogant early years of my life. But I can tell you this, when this truth began to come across the plate and I began to find people that I really knew would speak into my life, they weren't afraid to challenge me on something and they began to speak in my life. I think I protected my reputation I think I went to the place where all of a sudden now I was doing good for those people that were around me. And they saved me from making decisions I would have made if it wasn't for them. If you're teaching Bible studies or you're teaching or preaching or doing anything, you, more than any, need to be able to be in a position where you can have people speak into your life and you've given them full permission to do so. I want to tell you people that attend this church, uh, and I'm sure I'm embarrassing him right now, we have a senior pastor, Steve, who has done this. He has taken some people. He has asked them to speak in his life, not generically. He's done it specifically. Whenever a specific decision needs to be made, he does not trust himself to make it alone. He asks people. Now, it doesn't mean he hasn't gone to God and sought out God. But he can bring that back and say, this is what I'm sensing God telling me, and he will ask to let you examine his life. And many times you can go ahead and say, I think that you're off here, and he will look at that, talk to somebody else. If they say it, then he will correct it. That's why you have a man that I can look up to, and he's a mature man that is leading you because he's a person that will not be afraid to let people speak in his life. He does not want to bring information that's from the flesh. Long, long time ago, uh, when I was raising three boys, I see two of them here. I don't know if the third one's here or not, but I was raising 
these kids, and I, I look and took literally the passage about when you raise up your kids, talk to them, teach them in the streets, teach them when you sit down, teach them when you walk, teach them when you play, teach them when whatever, teach your kids. And so I took that literally, and I taught my kids, and they, they were always hearing Scripture and hearing the right thing, and they would say something, and they might be sharing their heart, and I would say, give them a Scripture about forgiveness, and I would do this, and I thought I was being wise. Tell one of them, I don't know which one it was, said, Dad, when you're always teaching us, it's like we're always doing something wrong. I never saw that. And matter of fact, that didn't do it by one of them saying it. So I went to the other two and I said, hey, so-and-so said this. What do you think? They said, he's right. <laughs> I hope I'm a little better. Uh, it affected me. I thought that what I was doing was right. And I encourage you, you can't see. It's nothing wrong with not being able to see. You were designed to need other people to speak into your life, to be bold enough to say, hey, do you see this? This is how I see it. But I know I only see through my own plan because I have a tendency in the flesh to put myself as the center of this circumstance. And because I'm the center of this, this doesn't look good and if you're open to having people share in your life, it's amazing how good you will look. You know, you can look way better than you are. There's a ver verse in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 23, and I'm going to quote it, and then I'm going to give you a, the, the, I think the Hebrew translation of it. It says, the wise in heart ponder on what they're about to say, and they bring to their lips the words, and it comes out of their mouth, and it's like honeycombs that are refreshing to a person's ears and body and healing to their soul. What that really means is if you're a wise person and you're about to speak, th uh, let time go by a little bit. Don't just blurt out everything that comes into your head and let it roll around in your mouth and let the words bit there and then see in your mind what it sounds like coming out of your, your mouth and see if those are edifying things to those people around you because good words are a honeycomb. They're healing to the people you're with. They're healing even to their body. When I first started doing this, I couldn't believe how much I... I said, I'm starting to do this, and I said, you know what? I don't talk anymore, which was embarrassing. I said, I must have been saying a lot of things that I hadn't, shouldn't have said. It works the same for your actions, but instead of letting you examine it, let other people look into your life. Let them look into your heart. Let them examine it. I promise you, you will never regret it. Now, I'm going to give you some steps on this to be careful with, but I'm going to give you some steps. In your, in your handout there or your bulletin, you have a sheet, and all it says is who, who are the names that I'm going to put down. These names do not have to be your best friend. Now, they may be, but they need to be somebody that isn't afraid to speak into your heart. They just need to be people that the Bible says that are mature. That just means mature there is mentioned in Galatians 6. The mature are those that are reflecting the fruits of the Spirit. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's patience, there's, there's uh, kindness, there's gentleness, there's self-control. It says these are the saints. Come together with the saints. They might even be your parents. I said that in the first service, but I noticed there was nobody under 60 in the first service. So that they were thinking, they're all dead. So it might be your kids. It might be your kids. 
I think you'll know when the Holy Spirit, if you will say, God, who is it you want to put in my life that I can actually be open to? The Bible says, be careful. He that covenants or chooses and speaks and becomes accountable to too many people comes to ruin. That word in uh, Proverbs 18 says, you, you get broken to pieces. Your reputation gets broken to pieces. Be careful that you talk to mature people. Don't just talk to anybody because people love to gossip. And they love to talk about things. And if they have some juicy stuff on you, boy, they like to share it. In the Lord. God bless them, but you know what they did. Be careful. Be careful who you choose. I think you know who it is. You see, I have people that I literally have done this with, but they're not always the same person for the same issue I'm talking about. If I have certain issues in my life that I think are really, really uh, an area that Pat understands because he's worked with me for so many years, I might ask Pat about that situation. I grew up with Tom and Dan Haggerty. They've known me since they were five, and so if I go ahead and have something that would be related to that, I need to ask them that. I ask my wife a lot because she knows me better than almost anybody. So I ask you to be open. Tom Haggerty's son, Pat Haggerty, uh, sent an email to me. Oh, it was a while back. But somehow God had impressed on him this, and I was kind of like his second dad. I coached him. I, I spanked him as, as often as anybody. Uh, and he said, you know me as well as anybody on this planet. I want to give you permission to speak into my life if you see something. I think that he, in his maturity, said, I don't want to misrepresent God, I want you to speak into my life. And I said, Pat, I would be honored to do that, but I said, I, I don't want to do it in a general way by just kind of throwing out what I've known about you when you were 10 or 5 or 6. Because I think God has transformed your life and there's changes, but I will address specific situations with you as you go to God, look at God, and then call me, and then I'd be glad to talk to you about those things. I believe he will be protected because of that. I don't think I'm the only guy he asked. Matter of fact, I know there's some other people that got that email. So I'm going to ask you in closing today, as I pray for you, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to give you some people that you can honestly do it. I didn't want to leave it there because I put another portion in your handout. I want you to say, how am I going to contact them and when am I going to contact them this week? So an example would be Joel Ports. Let's say God says, I want Joel to be somebody who speaks in your life, Bill. Then I'm going to say, Joel, and I'm going to say, I'm going to try to get a hold of him Wednesday or Thursday or try to get together. And I say, Joel, I want you to be able to speak into my life, and I'm going to bring certain specific issues to you after I've looked at them. Would you please examine those and see how you hear that? You know me well enough to go ahead and tell me. I believe if you'll do that and if the body of Christ will do that, I think we will have a lot of things done in the Spirit, putting God back on the throne of the good and evil, the tree of good and evil, and we will remove ourselves from there, and we will quit going ahead and making decisions just based upon us being the center of this universe. Would you pray with me? Father, first of all, we can't do this. We can't even list names here unless you do it through us. You said that we can accomplish nothing. No good thing can we accomplish 
if it isn't your fruit living through us. Holy Spirit, come right now and fill us. Empower us with your presence. Empower us with your life. And I pray that you would remove all distractions right now. And Father, you have commanded in your word that we would be united with brothers and sisters that could speak into our life in things we cannot see. I'm asking you to give me names. And I would ask that you would put these names in my heart. And if it's maybe throughout this week that the names begin to double up, that it wouldn't be just one name. Holy Spirit, give me people that are mature in you, understand you, and are not afraid to help me in this. In doing so, Father, I have got to surrender being the king of my universe. I don't want what you don't want. And I'm going to ask you to do that. And now, Father, I pray that you would edge me on to contact those people, that I might be able to ask them if they would be willing to speak into my life. I would acquire, I would buy aggressively by my time to have them do that. I believe you will do it, and I believe that you can empower me to be obedient to carry through with it. And I pray that the fruit of my life will no longer be flesh, but it'll be spirit. And you said that which is spirit will produce that which is good, which will produce you. And I am looking so forward to our relationship being enhanced by this that I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.